Hi, I'm Gil Rowland. In our second episode of a three-part podcast to introduce ourselves as well as introduce you to our soul talk, we're going to pick up right where we left off in part one. Our first podcast finds me in the hot seat with soul now, asking me personal questions. <laughs> now it's my turn to shine the spotlight on soul. Soul, are you ready? No. He's going to attempt. <laughs> He's going does. to attempt to interview an interviewer. Let's see how this goes. Well, thank you for getting me out this hot seat because <laughs> my pants are steaming. <laughs> and now you. Oh, that explains it. No, okay. <laughs> and now we can put you in it. Yeah. Neener, neener, neener. So let's begin then where. You Ask the question pressure. everyone asks the very first time I say I think, my name. Where, oh, where did soul come from ladies and gentlemen of the jury <laughs> the jury all of my life soul dancer is that your real name if you were to come up to me gil let's do this let's do this <laughs> if i asked you what's your name and you say my birth name is gilbert roland brown all right so uh, you introduce yourself as gil roland right all right so the second you introduce yourself as gil roland I say, is that your real name? If I question you about your name, <laughs> the very first moments I'm getting to know you, what does that set the stage for? What the hell is your problem? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I feel like the RCA dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so people, is that your real name? It's like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Let's just put it this way. On my birth certificate, on my passport, on my driver's license, you'll see Soul Dancer. Now, whether you want to believe that's my real name or not, I don't care. But according to the official documents that I carry around with me, that's my name. Well, you have to understand the conditioning where people are coming from. They are still coming from, there is a certain normality of where names come from. Soul means a very specific thing to both the people in Western society. So for you to come up and say your name is Soul Dancer, that's a Nietzsche thing. Like, huh? What? Huh? Scooby-Doo? Uh? Yeah, exactly. So cognizant of that, I would think most people, at a certain point, so that would be an expectation. That's how they're going to react. Well, I just chuckle now. I used to get pissed off. Now I just chuckle. I wait for it. There's a handful of people that have just accepted it. <laughs> and there have been people who have, I thought have accepted my name five dot ten dot twelve years later. Well, one day, soul, when you'll tell me what your real name is, I'm like, we've gone this many years, and you think I have another name? Wow. <laughs> so yes, soul dancer is my given name. Now, what the hell? The hell else do you want to know? So from the moment of birth, coming out with the realization of the I am that is you. What was life life in the dancer household? Oh. <laughs> well, being the youngest of nine. Nine? Nine. Good God, your parents were busy. <laughs> my parents, well, my mother, anyway, was a devout squared. Devout, devout. 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 Did I say devout? Let me say devout Catholic. <laughs> and Catholics must be fruitful and they must multiply. Oh, who are you saying? Fruitful was definitely in that definition. My kids. <laughs> the short story is my mother's version of getting her golden ticket into heaven was to produce a priest or nun out of one of us. I learned how to be duplicitous early on. 
I knew early, early on the Roman Catholic faith ain't all what it's appearing it to be. So you were cognizant of it. Early on. But to have a peaceful life, to have my mother get all, <laughs> I became an altar boy. Oh, my God. Here we are. I'm re I'm on my path to being a priest. <laughs> She's going to get her ticket into heaven now, right? <laughs> so I learned early on how to be a shapeshifter. I knew I had to be a shapeshifter because what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling doesn't add up. Very interesting. Because I understood the concept of shapeshifting. But from my perspective, why do I need to shapeshift for anybody? Where, of course, from you, from what I'm hearing... You had to do it because you had a parent who had a strong motive for what she needed. And as you said, to keep the peace, go along to get along. Right. Now, keep in mind, my father passed Christmas Day on my fifth birthday. So, Dad, I don't really remember your traditional dad. I do remember people being quite concerned that during my father's funeral, I wasn't crying. And how did they find you not crying? Because I was talking to Dad. And that raised a couple of eyebrows, I assume. I didn't say I was talking to Dad. <laughs> but the fact that my physical father had died, he died due to a work injury. The fact that I still saw him next to me and we having conversations, which I didn't let on, mm -hmm. he didn't die. There's no need to cry. But to standard society, I'm supposed to be this wreck because my father died. Right there, again, I knew something needed to be hidden. And also, something was being taught to you, even in that moment, with everybody else, oh, and you're just like, can you believe people are crying? Yeah, what's your, what's your deal? You know, I must be in denial, of course. Of course, of course. So... Fast forward a few years, I began to realize that all of my friends who were so busy talking about pussy and tits, I'm like, ew! Oh, none of that stuff. <laughs> what are you talking? I like what I saw at the boys' locker room. I mean, I was having crushes on my other fellow guys, but I didn't know I was gay back then. It came to an awareness when one day I lived in what I guess would be called lower middle class. We had a decent sized house in the backyard during the summer. We were known to have our little pop-up pools. You put up the middle thing, yeah, and yeah. you put the thing in the middle and you fill it up and you got a swimming pool. Well, right. Okay, we had a little pool to play with. And the rule in our family was is if you're going out to swim, you don't come in the house wet. You go in the garage, you change, and you come in the house. Well... I do recall a rather interesting neighborhood guy that we would go swimming a lot and we would take an awful long time changing. <laughs> We're eight, nine, ten years old. And there was one neighborhood kid who I never really liked, but he always wanted to be my friend, but I didn't want to be his friend. But he kind of like was that fly that you're wanting to swat away. You know, he kept buzzing around. The annoying guy. <sighs> <sighs> Well, unbeknownst to my other friend and I, we, got, we were spied upon, and what he spied upon went directly back to his mother, who in that date and time, of course, we're talking 60s, every mother on the block is nothing but a fucking extension to another mother. <laughs> it was faster than telephone. I mean, I'm sorry. Wow. What happened on that block was instantly communicated to every other mother on that block, 
before tweeting and texting happened. <laughs> I came in the door one evening after swimming. I got a swat on the face, a paddle on my ass, and I was grounded. Apparently, my best friend that wanted to be my best friend told his mother about me sucking some other my other friend's dick. <laughs> we weren't supposed to be doing that. Obviously not, no. <laughs> so, it's like my mother... How she didn't put the pieces of the puzzle together that she's got a faggot for a son, I'm not quite clear on. Maybe it's denial. It's the phase. He's going through a phase, whatever. But having my face slapped and having my ass beaten and being grounded for being who I am told me, ah, I need to shapeshift again. Correct. At that point in time, I was your standard build. Okay. That started my path to becoming 358 pounds. Wow. What made you want to do that to yourself? It's easier to be called a fatso than a faggot, my friend. If I can understand you correctly, better to have this one identity yep. than this other identity. Yep. Growing up in the Midwest, I'm a big stock. Our family had the joke, well, you're just big stock. You're just following family lineage. So I rode that. Correct. It's easier for me to divest myself from society by being a fatso than being a faggot. Gotcha. So it was a diversionary tactic. Of course. Obviously. Obviously. Socially acceptable. Okay. So from the moment that that incident came up, that led you onto this path. Of being a wonderful shapeshifter. And I was the model child. I was an altar boy, got decent grades, never ruffled her feathers, all the while knowing this is all fucking bullshit. So while you were doing that, knowing that was all bullshit, what was being cultivated inside you then? Fortunately, I pin it to around 11. I met a man who I honestly thought was homeless. He stank. It was clear his clothes needed laundering. He was, he was totally typical homeless guy. It, in my Not judgmental sure. attitude at around 11, I thought he was homeless. Okay. He needed help. Gotcha. Okay. So I knew of someone who knew of someone who at least he could go shower and have his clothes cleaned, and he put up with it. What I didn't realize is that was the most profound spiritual teacher who purposefully crossed my path. Whoa. Before he died... His estimated wealth was over $8 billion. You don't say. That was in the 60s. Wow. He came from a family of ancient wealth. One of the old families that we hear about. Ancient wealth. Yeah. I didn't know that for 30 years into our relationship. He saw in me something I was absolutely blind to. He knew by my auric field I was destined for something else. I was not destined to be a priest. I was not destined to do the 9 to 5 club. And how did you come to this awareness from him? By him taking me under his wing in a way that I was completely clueless of. He let me believe I was helping him. This is a man who I eventually learned in his phone. Kings, queens, presidents, CEOs of the biggest firms. He was their confidant. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And you became his ward in a way then. I became his ward. He never talked about his health. He could give a shit what other people thought about him. That he stank, that his clothes needed... I mean, he really just had poor hygiene. In his personal opinion, hygiene is nothing but ego. Hmm, now we're getting somewhere. He took it to the next level, in my opinion. I am so detached from my ego. I'm not even going to give it the wherewithal to have a shower or clothes or anything. Because all of that, from what I'm understanding you're saying, is cultivating... Ego. Ego, and an attachment to it. Correct. Gotcha. But he understood we live also in the 3D world. He wasn't really a, what I would call, mystic teacher. We never really got into tarot or astrology or numerology or sacred geometry or all of those other things that we're going to be eventually talking about in this series. Mm -hmm. What he helped me do is stop shape-shifting and become a walk-in. He helped me see I am a divine, sovereign being at age 12. Wow. No one, nothing, has the right to do anything to you for any reason. End of story. Completely, unequivocally agree with you. Full stop. Absolutely. So this Roman Catholicism that you're in, deal with it. Because you've got to have a roof over your head. But no, this ain't it. This ain't the end-all, be-all. <laughs> you, you're stuck here because of where you are, but you don't have to stay here. Right. So, fast forward. <laughs> now there's this big whole thing about the Roman Catholic Church finally being caught for all of its child molestation. Surprise, right? surprise. You know, yeah. I was like, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm going to give you a little juicy factoid. I can specifically remember being an altar boy at a wedding where one of the new priests that had been installed at our church had just come on board, and he was smoking fucking hot. <laughs> I had the hots for him. If that priest had made any overtures to me at all, <laughs> I would have been on it like shit and flies. <laughs> I knew. I can still remember that one time I saw him out in public in, in shorts. I thought I was going to lose it. <laughs> this is your sexuality now coming on full force gotcha this is you were beginning to get oh look at them tits and pussy i was like look at those hairy legs look at that bulge in his pants oh my god there it is i thought okay i can't act on this mind you mine came a little earlier in yours art school when i first saw my fully fledged naked woman mm -hmm. and my mouth dropped through the floor <laughs> And I just stare. From and five. something popped up. And something popped up. And the teacher, uh, Gil, you dropped your pencil. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, oh, yeah. Pencil. Right. So I can completely understand that. <laughs> if my mother knew I was lusting after the priest that I was kneeling by <laughs> up there in front of everybody in God's creation in the church. Oh, boy. <laughs> High school, blah, blah, blah. I knew I was gay, but I never really acted on it. Largely because in a Midwestern town, you just don't. Especially that's what the, society teaches that's you. That's right, especially in the Midwest. And you can be a homosexual in the Roman Catholic Church, but just never act on it. Well, excuse me, but the divine that created me gave me sexual feelings. Absolutely. I'm going to act on them. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to my mother and all of my family, I started attracting other spiritual teachers. 
And so my teenage years from 11 to 21, I remember when I was 14, I was sitting down and one of my teachers, she goes, Sol, I have some rather bleak news for you. And I thought, oh, great. What? And she says, here's the deal. The more awake and aware you become, the thinner the dating pool gets. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, I'm already aware of the fact that I'm not supposed to date guys. <laughs> now you're telling me that the guys I could date, the more awake and aware I become, there are going to be fewer and fewer guys I'm going to date. What the hell did I sign up for here? <laughs> Lovely. But, Gil, I have to bounce this back for a moment. Would you say that's a true statement? Absolutely. Big time. The more that I found with the girls that I had frequented when I first began with the band, yeah, the pool was a lot. But it was in that that I realized that these aren't for me. And the, the pool got smaller and smaller and smaller over the years and the decades. To the point that, as I said on this, my very last relationship, I thought that was the end all be all to find out it wasn't. And that was after a very long time after my own divorce. About what? Six years afterward? So yeah, the timeline does grow longer and your potentials do grow smaller. So it is absolutely true. So I just realized, all right, I'm going to focus on reality that I can see auric fields. You can't lie. No. When I come up to you and I scan your auric field, and ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know what an auric field is, Google it. <laughs> I always took that as just reading people. That's how, in my vernacular. I can read anybody, their energy. You're reading their energy. Correct. Yes. I physically see colors. Oh, well, so do I. That is part of it. It radiates, no matter how much you try to hide, which is you what... You can't lie with your auric field. Which is why I look at them as a living contradiction. I see your, your real emotion, but you're telling me something else. Who's trying to cover up to who? Because you can't do it to me. And they couldn't do it to you. No. So I started attracting to me people. Some have passed their mortal coil. The youngest teacher who died physically was only 103. Only? <laughs> Last year, someone who was 146 passed. Wow. That hit me pretty hard. I can imagine. So... When we talk about life expectancy, I'm 60 as of this recording. To me, I'm not even halfway through my life yet. Nope. But many people at 60 look at being two-thirds, if not close to being done. Now, my lineage, my German-Czech lineage, I should be dead right now. You don't get to be 385 pounds and survive it. Correct. Over the years, I became a very powerful consultant. My consulting got kicked off when I took a temp job. And part of my temp job was I'm supposed to open up the mail, distribute it, blah, 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 blah. Boring as hell. But the temp company I was working for at that time was paying me $19 an hour. And when was this? What this year? was back in the 80s. So $19 an hour and now will probably be double. Oh, easy. Gotcha. That's, that's good money. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, what kicked all of this off is I got the bill from my temp firm. Unless it's marked private and confidential, I'm supposed to open it up, read it, sort it, send it to the right place. Well, I read the invoice that they sent for me, <laughs> and I fucking shit my pants. They're charging $75 an hour for me. 
and they're paying it. And I'm like, okay, now I have to give them to business. They've got overrides. They've got other salaries. So I took that invoice to the person who signed off on my time card, and I said, look, here's the deal. Do you think you will want me around for a while? And they're like, well, we're thinking of actually hiring you. And I said, well, I'm not really interested in being an employee, but I wouldn't mind being a temp for a while longer. Here's the deal. If I go out tomorrow and form my own sub-S corporation and I incorporate and I can present you papers with that EIN number and the person looking at me like, I'm talking English, but they're not quite understanding what I'm saying. (laughs) And it says, I kicked off my own consulting firm. I had them agree that they will keep me on for six months at $45 an hour. I doubled my salary overnight. So you did what I did. Wow. $45 an hour in the mid-80s, that's a good chunk of change. Yes. I thought I was that and then some. I became known as a senior project manager who got it done. When I left consulting, I was charging $1,700 an hour. Mind you, you are already in service. This was your thing. So you just turned your service into... Yes, I put it into the 3D business model. Exactly. And I got known for getting shit done, right? Uh What they didn't realize is I was using spiritual alchemy to do it. Which was beyond their capability. Didn't even talk about it. It was just... I'll give you a classic example. I knew I was about to make 40 people lies hell. So I walked into the boardroom where we're going to have this big meeting where they knew the shit was going to happen. And I dumped $5,000 worth of VIP movie passes onto the table. (laughs) And I said, ladies and gentlemen... Grab as many of these as you need. I want you to take your family, your friends, take your neighborhood out to a movie. (laughs) There will be a $100,000 bonus package to this team to be divided equally if we get the following done by this date and time. Hmm. I knew the two things that they wanted most is more time with their family and the money to have it with. Mm-hmm. They moved heaven and hell to get it done. <laughs> I wrote that into my contract. You incentivized them. This way I wrote a $14 million contract. I was paid in full up front for an 18-month contract in my 20s. Impressive. To drop $1,000 on a suit, who the hell cares? I played the role of what people thought a a professional business person, successful. I was taking very expensive vacations. I mean, to take two or three vacations a year and drop $50,000, $60,000 on each, no problem. And you were cognizant this entire time of what you were doing. Oh, completely. Uh It came to a head one night. Back in the day, Gil, do you remember Pizza Hut's supersized pizzas? Big time. How big were they? They were huge. I know because we used to throw parties and get about five, I mean, they're table of, size, right? Big time, yes. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, what, new, 18 new, inches by 18, 18 inches? 18 inches with the New York style slice. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One night, while I had a friend over and we were kind of binge watching a couple movies, I polished off three meat lovers, super-sized pizzas. Three of them. Good. Me. I ate three of them over the course of about four hours, 
and I down four liters of coke. Good God, God mighty. That's a heart attack. Wait, I'm about to... Okay. That was dinner. For, for you, of course, but to me, that's just like, how much can I totally clog my artery up with? <laughs> I don't give a shit. My body was handling it. <laughs> and it wasn't until this person who took the biggest risk of his life, and he said, Soul, I love you dearly, but tonight's it. I can't sit here and watch you do this anymore. I physically am in pain. I don't know how you're not in pain. And I thought he was the most arrogant, self-centered asshole. Who are you to tell me what I should or shouldn't eat? When in truth, he was just empathizing. Yeah. I was at that point bringing in upper six-digit incomes. I didn't give a shit. I can buy my way out of anything. Mm -hmm. Right? Until I sat bare-ass naked on a doctor's table one day, close to my 32nd birthday, and he's going, you're two weeks out from being written up as type 2 diabetic. Back in that days, ladies and gentlemen, before the wonderful medical model that we have now, if you have those types of notes in your, quote, medical chart, you ain't getting shit for insurance. Nope. That's called a pre-existing condition. That's something rattled me, and my true spiritual self came out. Something inside of me said, this just isn't your path. You can continue on, but we'll take you out of the game. You will have a stroke. You will have a heart attack. You will follow your lineage. It was like a heads up. Right. On or about that time, this is when I was really becoming highly conscious of how powerful every human being is. Okay. Every human being. Sure. I'm not talking about those who are cordoned off in some quaint little monk or monastery or ashram someplace doing advanced spiritual studies. I'm talking, I became aware of that every single one of us, you right now listening to this, are a powerful, powerful being. Absolutely. And I remember sitting at lunch with a teacher who has also since passed, and I was being unusually quiet, <laughs> and she made note of that. Right. Keep in mind, I've, this teacher I've been with now for some time, this teacher was a household name, and she addressed me. She says, why are you so quiet, soul? What's up? And I said, I'm really becoming more conscious of every word I say, every word I don't say, every action that I do, every action that I don't do, has profound implications. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm getting kind of freaked out about it. I was expecting empathy. I was expecting, well, that's good. You should be. I was expecting her to, like, pat me on the back for being a little bit more conscious of being conscious. Correct. And the words that came out of her mouth to this day is still a two-by-four up my head. <laughs> well, aren't you a fucking arrogant asshole? <laughs> Slap! <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I, like, huh? Yeah, it took you back a little bit, I would imagine. And so she says, Soul, are you omnipotent? And I went, What? She says, do you consider yourself to be omnipotent? And I said, where are you? No. She says, what are you worried about? Do you think your divine self is ever going to let you hurt anyone for any reason, including yourself? That was the second cosmic two-by-four up my head. <laughs> I mean, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, listen to that. That freed me. 
That freed me to be me. It took the imaginary weight of your or yoke, if you really want to call it, of responsibility that you put yourself to you put around. Thinking yourself. that's what I'm supposed to do as a spiritual person. Correct. Off. Period. It didn't exist to begin with. It is what you yourself had did with the, the purpose training. of training. The training that came along with it. So now that it's that you had that realization, what came after that? I came out. And what did ripple affected that sin at first? And what did well, you get back after? To most people, like, well, duh. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never really dated Gil. I've had dating relationships. I've had significant male relationships in my life, but I've never, quote, at 60, had a, quote, in what would most people call life partner. No one's met me where I need them to be. Hmm. I've had people fall head over heels in love with me, both lust and physical, and they've seen me as a teacher and they wanted that. They wanted to have that in the... I'm not interested in a person who is going to be my partner in life be a student. Exactly. I can understand that one. <laughs> no, thank you. To me, the biggest problem with most <clears throat> dating relationships is jealousy because I become so intimate with people so quickly. For some strange reason, that intimacy is supposed to be only between me and him. No. There will be an exclusive relationship of sexuality, sex, Yes, I agree in monogamy. Okay. Lifetime monogamy? I don't know. I've ebbed and flowed with that. There are times where I'd probably go screw a tree. Well, you're a Sagittarius, and Sagittarians are known to not traditionally want to be tied down. They want to be free. They... I don't mind being tied down, but if you need to get your nuts off every night, go find somebody. I don't want to deal with Spoken that. Spoken like a true Sagittarius. <laughs> I, 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 I don't have a problem with that. Just don't give me crabs, you know? I mean, it's just... <laughs> what you bring back this I got you, you know just come back home right. right exactly so my training my 50 years of training that has spanned me becoming a monk three different orders a shaman in four different traditions and a master's in social work put that in a blender make your frappe have your smoothie that's what you're going to get in our soul talk I'm going to weave all of that together because to me yes we are divine, sovereign, powerful beings. We're at a juncture right now, literally the juncture, 2021, of waking up to the fact we've been fucking around for three centuries. Big time. And part of my training is like, even though I know, even I can be doing more than what I'm doing right now, the world ain't ready for it. I have put over 300,000 people through a program called Pay Me What I'm Worth. And what is Pay Me What I'm Worth about? All the money, collectively, <laughs> in the world, all the gold, all the diamonds, all the furs, all the yachts, all the, all the real estate, is still not enough money to pay the invaluableness of a soul. Anybody who tells me you can put a dollar figure of any, dollar, yen, euro, whatever, to your quote, worth, wake the fuck up. <laughs> so you would say that pay me what I'm worth would be what I would consider the cure to the societal belief that the Industrial Revolution has instilled on all of us. Part of the cure. Part of it. As far as my time equals 
this amount. You gotta let that go. Correct. There ain't no dollar amount, ladies and gentlemen. Because I've been there. I went from $45 an hour to $90 an hour to $180. I doubled my rate to the point that I was making $1,700 per hour. Which I'm shocked because just a little story I told going from 50 to 500 was just a small seed of the exact thing that you're talking about right now. Fast forward a few years later, I happened to run across the person who actually signed my invoices at $1,700 an hour, and he laughed at me. He said, Soul, we would have paid you $5,000 an hour. You didn't fucking know that. You were a steal. Got you at a discount. Big time. <laughs> Even when you were talking about the relationships, what you were referring to was a codependency, and even yep. that comes at a stipend at yep. your expense. Yep. And what... I would suggest to that the solution would be an interdependent relationship where both people within it are adding to each other's pot, not taking away from it. Symbiotic versus parasitic. Exactly. Yeah. So my background, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get to know my background more if you take the time to listen to any one of the hundreds of classes that I already have out on iTunes. They're free. I'll give you links to look it up. You're going to have to invest the time. To me, to sit here and spout off all of my accomplishments, my awards, I'll get, here's a little backstory. As I was about to graduate my undergraduate degree at the University of Minnesota in human relationships, <laughs> I was sitting down with my advisor, and I was saying to my advisor, I'm most likely going to skip graduation. We're not even done. At that time, the University of Minnesota, you go through the pomp and circumstance two weeks before you finish class. What's the point? Right? Correct. <laughs> well, when I told my advisor, he was a dear gentleman, that I wasn't going to attend graduation, he, he literally turned white in front of me. I'm like, what the hell just happened here? <laughs> you know, I literally saw him turn white. And then he had, so I have a little confession for you. And I'm like, uh, I'm not graduating? What? <laughs> you know, I paid my fee. He's like, well, um... <clears throat> I figured you'd kind of learn this eventually, but um, I'm surprised you haven't heard by now because I figured a few people would be talking to you by now. I said, get to the point. He says, I nominated you for 10 awards. And I said, excuse me? How many awards are there? 10. You nominated me for all the awards that you can get at graduation. <laughs> yes. And... Um, you got all of them but one. Hmm, and I said, what? He says, and I want to fight for the other one. You should have gotten that one too. It's the most prestigious. It'll look the best on your collegiate to do your master's work. And when he started to unfold what he had done and what he wanted to do, he wanted to fight for the most prestigious one. I looked at him and I'm like, no. <laughs> First off, what the hell did you do? And secondly, the fact that I won nine out of ten awards to me was embarrassing because on the day of graduation, the very first award got queued up and they announced it and they announced everything that you had to do to be nominated, everything you had to do to be considered for the award, and, of course, all of the things that you had to have in order to get the award. <laughs> and then they say my name. I had to trot my ass up on stage. 
times eight more times. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. <laughs> I was embarrassed. So by the third award, I just, you know, and the winner is, and it got to the point to where the audience was going, Soul Answer! <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink every time he's called. <laughs> I just got this. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I am blessed. Thank you. Got off stage. Thank you, ladies and I mean, to me, it was comical. Yeah. So we get in the car, my mother and I, and we drive from graduation to home. Okay. You would think a mother who has a son who graduated from college who now earned nine out of ten awards, of which one was the college, the University of Minnesota President's Award. That was the second highest award. Mm -hmm. Would be beaming. She was embarrassed. Why? Because all of my awards dealt with me being an out gay man. And, of course, that just goes against the cloth. <laughs> Being a devout Catholic mother, looking for a priest out of this deal. Correct. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Right. So, to me, leadership, Gil, you, the reason why you and I kind of get along is because, to me, leadership is what we're supposed to do. Absolutely. This is what everyone is supposed to do in some form or fashion. Step up and get it going. That, to me, is breathing. That shouldn't deserve a certificate or a plaque or a dust collector. Or a ghost star. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's it's your birthright. Just by coming into this reality and taking charge of everything that you are about, that your intuition and your higher self leads you to do. That is by far the na most natural thing you can do beyond any proclivity of a biological mechanism like breathing or pooping or peeing. That goes right in line with all of that. So the, that sets the stage for what we're queuing up, ladies and gentlemen. As we wrap up the second of a three-part podcast series to launch what you're listening to, something we're calling Our Soul Talk, what part of my story surprised you? How do you feel about me being so transparent about some highly personal stuff spanning over 50-some years? Now, before we get to the last part of this three-part series, where well, you'll learn more about what we have planned over the next 12 episodes, I hope you click on the appropriate follow or subscribe button, depending on where you're listening to or watching this. Keep up with us. After following or subscribing to Our Soul Talk, start remembering this URL, bit.ly forward slash O-S-T radio so that's basically bit.ly our soul talk radio ost radio so just think of our site as a one-stop shop of clickable links to on-demand audios and videos remember all podcasts are downloadable download and listen anytime anywhere so we'll catch you next time aloha
Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.